1: Blue
2: Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. And today we turn the page a little bit from free agency. Although I'm sure the Giants will have a few more signings and tricks up their sleeve. And we will touch on the Zach Fulton sign first. But we turn our page from free agency to the NFL draft. We're now in that time period where listen. We got a month until this draft goes off, and we plan to do a lot of content. We have a lot to catch up on. We got a lot of prospects to hit. We're going to be planning to probably nail a prospect today or something in that nature as we move forward. Then we're also going to have some podcasts breaking down giant strategy for the draft, things we think will happen in draft. We'll have some awesome draft analysts on as guests. But today we're going to continue forward with the draft profile prospect series. And we're starting to get into the nitty gritty, so we're gonna dive into some of the top prospects in this class. Prospects who may be available to the Giants at eleven, prospects who we may want the Giants to take at eleven. And so today we're doing Jamar Chase, the wide receiver from LSU, who opted out of the twenty twenty season, or I'm sorry, the twenty twenty one season. Yeah, twenty twenty season, sorry about that. After dominating in twenty nineteen. I think all the years for me have kind of gone haywire since COVID, and I'm still kind of trying to catch up on that. But Nick. Before we dive into Chase, I wanted to get your thoughts on the Fulton signing. What did you make of this?
3: Yeah, so I uh, dove deep into Zach Fulton's tape, and he's uh, he's not great at pass protection, at least in 2020. 2020 was a was definitely a down year for him. His balance was, just seemed shot. Center of gravity all messed up. His footwork was a mess. It just was not his type of year but prior to that i mean he was a solid guard he was really good in his first rookie contract with the kansas city chiefs and then he ended up signing a four-year 28 million dollar contract 13 million guaranteed with the houston texans and he just did not live up to the bill and he's six foot five 321 pounds and he was a big reason why deshaun watson was getting hit so much and he ended up being you know incredibly abused back there as a quarterback but I mean Zach Fulton had 39 pressures he gave up 11 sacks in 2020 and when you turn on the film it's not just bad plays and there's some miscommunications the offensive line and the team in general was a mess there's no doubt about that but it was still just not a great it was not great tape you hope that he can kind of get back to that 2017 form when he was a Kansas City Chief things I like about Zach Fulton is that he he is strong upper body-wise, but he needs to utilize his base a little bit better to maximize his overall strength because his anchor wasn't really there on film. But I think a lot of that was due to just poor foot technique and placement, things along those lines. Uh, I also look at him as a versatile type of experienced offensive lineman. He's played at center. He's played both guard positions. I think he can come in here. He can compete with Will Hernandez and Shane Lemieux. I don't expect him to win that competition, but this is a low risk type of signing for somebody who is still sub 30 years old. He's only 29 years of age, and hopefully this offensive line can help correct the technical deficiencies that he had with the Houston Texans. So I don't hate the signing, but it's not somebody that I expect to come in and be a great signing for the New York Giants by any means you just hope that he doesn't repeat what he was in 2020
2: yeah I think you nailed it Nick when it comes to the Fulton signing it needs to be taken in context and that's that this is a low-risk debt move the Giants did not invest a lot in Fulton I know a lot of people probably wanted them to go out and grab a Trey Turner or a guard with a higher profile someone who has more experience more production in the past but Ultimately, what this move says to me, Nick, is that the Giants, A, either are ready to invest in the position in the draft and believe that they can land an impact guard or an impact interior offensive lineman to help boost their team for 2021 and beyond in the draft in either of the first two rounds, or that they really like what they have in Shane Lemieux and maybe in Will Hernandez as well. And they don't want to bring in a player like Trey Turner or somebody with higher profile who would be getting the guaranteed money to start. Also, I think it's important, Nick, to understand that they've already done so as far as dipping into their future cap in a lot of ways with the structure of the Adoree Jackson contract, with the structure of the Leonard Williams contract, with the structure of the Kenny Galladay contract, all things that we like, all things we wanted to see them do. But it does leave them with limited cap space right now. And they basically at this moment, and they could do other things to create more cap space. You always can create more cap space by dipping into the future. But – at this point, I feel like they've dipped in enough, and I feel like they agree, they believe that as well. They probably don't want to do any more of that. And with the cap space they have left right now, Nick, they have just about enough to make these type of Fulton-type signing level signings, plus sign all their draft picks, because they have to pay their rookie 2021 draft picks as well. So it doesn't surprise me that they went in this direction. I will be interested to see what they do in the draft, if they have plans to address that, or if they plan to roll into the season with Fulton, Hernandez, and Lemieux as their guards. We'll have to see, but... I agree with you. My question for you next would be, more schematically speaking, Nick, how do you think that, from what you've seen evaluating his tape, Fulton will fit as a run blocker? You talked a lot about him as a pass blocker. How about as a run blocker now in a more power and gap scheme?
3: They've been a lot of different concepts, so that's something that you want to see, and I've seen him bucket step and kind of get out in the space, be that backside guard on power gap. And to be honest, he reminds me a little bit of Will Hernandez in the sense that he's a little boxy. He's not overly fluid with his movements. Like you like you could see, like if you look really closely, that like Shane Lemieux is a little bit quicker out of his stance to do that than Will Hernandez. It's something we've talked about. Fulton reminded me a little bit more of Will Hernandez where choppy steps, taking turns, location ability is adequate at best. It's not exactly his best trait. But as a play side guard, I think he can do a good job. If he lowers the center of gravity, plays with a little bit better balance, maximizing that strength and kind of moving those three techniques out of the way or scoop blocking four eye techniques and allowing the tackle to climb to the next level. Does solid job on those ace blocks, which an ace block is the guard and a center combo block? Does I would say a solid job as well on the deuce blocks, which is a guard tackle combo block. So I think overall, as a run blocker, you can you can deem him as solid but he's definitely somebody that you would still want to upgrade from because the Giants are going to look to do a lot of this power gap and he didn't seem overly fluid doing that you want to see somebody who's going to be able to bucket step kick out in a space locate kick out the end man on the line of scrimmage he didn't do that I would say at a at a great rate but on the play side I think it's a little bit more encouraging
2: Okay, that's interesting to me, and I also would ask you this because he was a much better player with the Chiefs. They signed him for a reason. The Texans, he had a really nice, I'm sorry, career trajectory to that point. Obviously, things haven't gone as well for him since signing with the Texans, though. His 2019 season was obviously better than this 2020. But my question for you would be, he has the length, of course. You can look at him and you can know that. He's a lengthy prospect, especially for an interior guy. Do you see the – do you think the Giants view – is there any chance, I should say, the Giants look at a player like Fulton and say, we actually believe he could be a swing tackle for us. He, we actually believe he could give us some snaps at tackle if we need him to because they still, at that point – I mean, they restructured Solder. I guess he's playing in that Cam Fleming role. But I'm just curious if they view him as having that much versatility.
3: It'd be a lot of coaching hubris, Dan, to be honest, to think that you could take Zach Fulton, whose footwork is bad as a guard, and put him out into space, someone who doesn't have a high amount of athletic ability. I think that would be a lot of coaching hubris and a lot of confidence in your coaching staff, because at this point, for me, you just want to try to get this guy to be a a solid overall guard, and that's not something that he quite is right now.
2: That's fair. I think it's interesting right now where the Giants' offensive line is at, before we move forward with this draft profile of Jamar Chase, I think it's interesting because they have a lot of guys signed to contracts and they're not necessarily going to carry a million guys into the season. Right now, as far as it goes, you have Andrew Thomas locked in. That's one spot that won't move off. You have Nick Gates locked in. That's another spot that won't move off. They're not. I don't think they're going to cut Parrot. I think it's the opposite. I think they are going to try to start Parrot for the season and use Solder as a backup. So I don't think his roster spot is movable. They've restructured Solder to the point where his roster spot is not movable. That's four locked in. And now you look past that, you have Hernandez and Lemieux. I don't think Lemieux really has any shot of being released this offseason. I think he's almost locked into the roster. Hernandez is an interesting one. I think it's possible, depending on where they go in the draft, and I'll get to why in a minute, that they might try to trade him. Or honestly, there's if things go really south there... And I don't know how they view him. I don't know what's going on with Hernandez. I think it's the most perplexing situation on the entire roster. I mean, me and Nick have gone over this plenty of times, but we have both watched enough film on this on this 2020 Giants that we don't really see what the coaches are seeing regarding Hernandez versus Lemieux. But besides him, you also now have Fulton, who you signed to a decent deal. And you start to look at this, and they have, what, six, seven guys almost already locked in. I don't know how many they plan to carry into the season, Nick, but it seems like eight would be the max there. So I don't know. I feel like just looking at the team right now, I don't know if you, would you consider Fulton locked into the roster? Would you consider all those guys I mentioned locked in, or would you think that some are more in, in more precarious positions?
3: Yeah. The locked in guys for me would be Andrew Thomas, Nick Gates, Matt Pear, Nate Solder now, which I, I would imagine what you could say is locked in just from his veteran experience and the fact that he restructured the way he did. And Shane Lemieux, I think, is locked in. But Will Hernandez is interesting. I think he's going to end up making the roster. But I I could see an avenue to where they do release him because he's going to be a free agent at the end of the
0: year. And it didn't seem like he meshed too well with this coaching. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
3: And with this style of offense, which is perplexing to both of us, because this is what he ran in college (laughs) at a high level. It it really is, Dan. And then Zach Fulton, I think he can be somebody that they brought in and then is just cut in camp if he just does not live up to the billing of what they expect him to be.
2: Yeah, I have to take a look and peel back those contract details. But as long as the guarantees aren't super high, I can definitely see Fulton being moved. And obviously with Hernandez, there really is no cap impact to moving on from him. So I agree with you on that. But it'll be interesting to see moving forward. I think that's all the Giants news we have to catch up on now. So we're going to dive into this prospect profile, Jamar Chase. And we're going to get to hopefully a few listener questions as well. So before we dive into Chase here, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors.
1: C rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply.
3: You've heard us talking about it before. And we're back again to talk to you about hosting your own podcast here at Blue Wire. And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with BlueWire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month. The same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to us talk about your favorite team, then make your voice heard in hustle acceptance into this program is limited so get your application in today to apply go to bwhustle.com join check out the description box for the episode to find out more but that's bwhustle.com join
2: all right jamar chase six foot one 205 pounds a four-star recruit 24 sports actually had him as the 19th overall receiver in that class he was supposed to go to ole miss Then the sanctions came down. Luckily for him, he chose LSU because that meant he got to play with Joe Burrow, which I'm going to get to in a little bit because I'm curious of your take on some of this, Nick, because I have not a theory, but I have something I wanted to at least touch on regarding the fact that he did get to play with Burrow. But Jamar Chase entering this draft class after having opted out of 2020, his 2019 season was pretty much one of the most dominant things we've ever seen from a wide receiver at the collegiate level. We'll get to some of the numbers that back up that statement. But before we do any of that, Nick, I wanted to start by saying with Chase, one, is he your wide receiver one overall in this class from what you've seen so far? And then two, break down some of his strengths before we get into maybe some of his weaknesses.
3: Yeah, Dan, he's the wide receiver one for me right now, just from an overall standpoint. I believe he's a player that can win at all three levels. He's not known as this vertical threat, and I understand why. But in 2019, he averaged 21.2 yards per catch which is absolutely insane, had 20 touchdowns and was Joe Burrow's favorite target on a really, really good offense. And a lot of people going in to this year, look at Justin Jefferson, and he was the second fiddle to Jamar Chase. So what does that say about Jamar Chase, who was 19 back in 2019? And we didn't get to see him in 2020. That was his prerogative, and that's fine. But just from a skill set standpoint, like I said, he can win deep, he can win intermediate, he can win off the line of scrimmage with those quick slants. And the thing that I love most about him, Dan, is just physical just pure physicality yet he can still create separation with his athletic ability so as a what 21 year old going into the league he's going to be able to defeat press with his upper body strength and with his hands and he can also do that with his feet because he's not a stone at the line of scrimmage he knows how to release he knows how to stack on top of wide receivers and then create separation whether that's going to be on a dig route deep dig route post route out route comeback, he sinks his hips and comes back to the, uh, the sideline really well. Comes back towards his quarterback to allow the quarterback to find him in an open space. And I think he's an incredibly smart receiver from what I've seen on tape, just kind of finding voids and zones and really providing a target for his quarterback just in general you talk about him at the catch point man big hands jumps up high points the ball away from his frame brings it in just wins and dominates in the air excellent body control and adjustment and you just really love to see it he doesn't have that burner type of speed that jalen waddle does he's not as explosive as that but he still has a good amount of burst and excellent athletic ability so i think when i just look at all the wide receivers and i watch the the top ones i still want to get to rashad bateman's tape i've seen him before but i want to get to his tape when i look at all of these wide receivers Jamar Chase comes away as my number
2: one yeah I think we're in lockstep there Nick he's my wide receiver one and it's funny because off the pod you said it best you said I just from watching a few minutes of Jamar Chase you're like I know this is going to be a Dan Schneier type receiver and you're right because it's 100% (laughs) what I'm looking for in receivers it's not that I don't like those bursty speedy small guys it's just that I know this skill set has a much better chance in my mind of translating because this skill set doesn't require Good offensive coordinators and good play calling to get players in space. This skill set doesn't even really require great quarterback play because he's the type of player who all you have to do is put the ball near him and he's going to make a play on it and he's going to come down with the catch and all. And also, he just like you said, he beats press coverage so well he beats all kinds of coverages so well with his upper body strength and with his feet so that's the first thing I wanted to touch on here regarding Jamar Chase because he's obviously like you said not the greatest athlete but from my opinion and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this so far having watched the amount of receivers we've watched that we've covered on this pod and then a few others that we're going to get to Dwayne Eskridge is a, a sleeper of mine I really like that I've been watching a lot of but All the receivers I've watched, I actually think he does the best job of stacking cornerbacks off the line of scrimmage. It's something I noticed he does a really good job of, and I think a lot of that is because of his feet. I think he has really quick feet off the line of scrimmage. It reminds me a lot, and tell me if you see any of this, of a former NFL receiver, former Packers receiver, Jordy Nelson. He's another guy. They're obviously different body types. Jordy was six foot four, but both of them had really quick and good feet off the line of scrimmage. And I think that that makes a really big difference in why he's so successful from a, from a production standpoint.
3: I don't think that's a terrible take whatsoever, Dan. And I remember before, this was like months ago, before I watched Jamar Chase, I told you, I was like, Hey, Dan, I thought Jamar Chase was six foot four. And then I started watching his tape and I was like, Oh wow. He's a lot shorter than that. Cause Jamar Chase is just over six foot. But the fact that I thought he was 6'4 just tells you this guy plays so much bigger than his frame. He carries like, what, like 208 pounds, 205 pounds. He's somewhere around there. This guy is, plays so much bigger, yet he still has that athletic ability that we were talking about and that burst. It's not quite Jalen Waddle, but it's still there. You, you love to see receivers at a young age of 19 be able to play bigger than they actually are and dominate at the collegiate level in the SEC. You want to see domination. He had that. Did he have Joe Burrow throwing him the football? Yes, but Jamar Chase made Joe Burrow a better football player.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. They both worked in conjunction with each other. I mean, part of the deal with with Chase is, like you said, it's exactly as it seems. He I don't there's no player in this class that plays bigger than what he actually is than jamar chase and so you'll look at a player like this he's only six foot and you'll ask yourself does is that going to hold him back the next level but i think there's some things that need to be taken in context here nick he was the state long jump winner in high school so he obviously has that unbelievably unique leaping ability we're not going to get to see it at the combine i would love to see how he jumps at the combine i personally think he would have had really strong vertical and broad jumps especially the broad jump and i think that makes a big big difference in translating explosiveness to the next level but he was also it here's the thing with Chase it's like you can look at players and you could look at receivers and you could base things you could base your projection on is this guy 6 foot 4 210 or 215 pounds and does he run that four three at the combine and think that's how you project forward but chase may not have all those flashy sparkly combine type numbers but he has the production to back it up and there's a reason why he was productive it's not it's not because of those traits it's because he's a really good receiver he has really quick feet off the line of scrimmage he does an excellent job stacking he does a really good job tracking deep balls we'll get to the deep ball production in a bit because it's out of control he has really good upper body strength which plays a huge role in making him who he is and he's a great jumper and he has great body control. He has all the traits that you would want besides maybe like you said the height, the straight line speed. Um but in in high school he had he was really a dominant player there as well. He caught 115 passes for 2200 yards and 30 t- TDs in his prep's career. And then he carries that over and it's like look at what he did. Um just take a look at some of the some of the numbers here. Um and why I think Chase is, and I'll get your take on this, Nick, but I think Chase is actually the best vertical wide receiver in this entire class, which again, people will look at him and be like, but he's only six foot and he only runs the four, whatever it would be if he actually had to run the combine. But none of that really matters because I think part of the reason why he's such a great vertical receiver is the other trades we went over. So here's some of the numbers, Nick, and I think it back it up. He had 24 catches in his 2019 season of 20 plus yards that traveled in the air. That's out of control that was the most ever recorded in a college season by far 24 receptions of balls that travel 20 plus yards in the air it's insane um and so what do you think gives him the ability to what do you think makes him first of all would you agree that he's the best vertical receiver that you've seen so far and if not tell me who it is and then also what do you think makes him so successful on these 20 plus yard passes in the air
3: well, I think him and Jalen Waddell are just two different types of receivers who win vertically. Jalen Waddell does it more just from sheer speed, more of a Tyreek Hill esque to make these kind of comparisons. Jamar Chase is more athletic ability, yes, but also just physicality at the catch point. I think ways that he, reasons why that he has success there is because he has excellent tracking ability concentration ability and then he uses his body very very well and he also adjusts to balls very very well while he's in the air he's just incredibly balanced and very good in these contested catch situations he doesn't allow defenders who are even trying to like suddenly kind of pull on the back of his jersey to affect him whatsoever because he has such good core strength such good upper body strength it really just comes down to just physicality concentration body control and adjustment all those things while he's in the air he's able to do that which is incredibly hard to do that's one of the reasons why he's so effective vertically and then it comes down to his hands dan he just has incredibly strong hands at the catch point and he doesn't allow smaller defensive backs or even defensive backs who are bigger than him to really kind of get in there and really affect the catch point on a consistent level he wins those in those areas and he also has that great very good lower body explosiveness to allow him to kind of leap up and make those really tough contested catches.
2: Yeah, and the advanced stats also back that up as well, Nick, because he had it was charted by Pro Football Focus as having 16 contested catches in 2019 16 that's crazy that's the, those like if you knew contested catch numbers i don't have the context in front of me to kind of break down the rest of the prospects or really just all of college football receivers because i think that, that would be even better for context but 16 in one season is just an absolutely absurd number of contested catches for their charting metrics i think you said it best it's like you look at some of these players it's I remember this. My favorite one is DeAndre Hopkins, Nick, because I remember going into that draft. My buddy Robin, who's actually really good at this kind of projection thing and evaluating NFL talent. I think he's got a great eye for talent. He's not he's not in the industry, but I think he could be. And he had Hopkins as a top five pick in that class. And I remember Hopkins ran. I think it was a four, five, five, either a four, five, five or a four, five, seven in the 40. And then it just completely tanked his draft stock. I think eventually the Texans drafted him in the late 20s I believe it's either the mid 20s or the late 20s in round one but some of what makes Hopkins one of the three or you know two or three best receivers in the NFL right now which I think anyone can agree with is what is the things that you just broke down with Chase Nick it's why I get so excited about a prospect like Chase it's strong hands at the catch point Hopkins has maybe the strongest hands at the catch point of any receiver it's Upper body strength, it's the ability to adjust to the ball in the air. That's just, like, the balance you talk about. These are things that won't exactly be tested at the combine. These are things that nobody really has any kind of, you know, I guess, tangible numbers to base him off of. Like, you can't say he ran, you know, you can't really judge um, body control the way you can judge, I guess, deep speed. But these are things that really matter at the next level. So I'm really interested to see how he projects. I want to go over something else with him. What do you think of his ability post catch? Because Chase actually had 22 broken tackles charted by pro football folks in the 2019 season. So while he doesn't really project this like on paper as the the typical post catch type receiver, Nick, because he doesn't have that kind of Jalen Waddle elusive, or I'm sorry, speed and twitch. I think given his total strength and his total profile based on that, he actually is a really good after the catch receiver as well. What do you think of that?
3: Oh, absolutely. I think he has a first gear and he has a second gear that he can hit whenever he's in space that can really challenge safety's angles. And I also think a lot of these college defensive backs trying to go in and make these arm tackles on him it was comical to watch because he's just going to run right through them and i think that's something that's going to be translatable to the nfl because you would imagine nfl the professionals are going to be able to tackle at a high rate but they still have sloppy technique a lot of the times I And mean, we, sadly as people who follow the giants we're well aware of that so they, they go in and you try to arm tackle him he has that just pure strength to run right through your arm tackle Tackle attempt. So I think just his ability to make people miss, I would say that's solid. And then his ability to run through weak tackle attempts is good to excellent, to be honest. And again, he's still just a kid. He's going to grow into his body even more, which is excellent. I mean, there, it, there's no surprise, man, that Clemson's AJ Terrell, Alabama's Trevon Diggs, and Mississippi State's Cameron Dansel, all 2020 draft selections, Terrell and Diggs both being in the first round, stated that chase was the most difficult coverage assignment they had in college.
2: Yeah, and not only was he the most difficult coverage assignment he had in college, he, he dominated them. And same goes for Henderson because he had a matchup against Henderson as well. It was another first-round pick from the year before. Um, and so really he's – every. this is the thing with Chase. Literally every great corner they tried to throw at him in the best conference he's dominated and he's been the most difficult to cover. The stats completely back him up. The only like The only thing you could say about Chase is he's not big. He's only six foot 200 and he doesn't he probably doesn't run a good 40, even though when you watch him, you could tell that this guy has build up speed. Am I right?
3: Yes, definitely. He has that first gear. He has that second gear. And I, I won't even say it's like a build up speed like a Nico Collins, like we talked about, where he just kind of like uses his long strides to open up a speed. I think Chase has much more athletic ability and a little bit more twitch than that.
2: Yeah, sure. Agreed. I just feel like if people point to that 40, it's like, yeah, but if you watch him, the 40 doesn't seem to be like if if you watched him, I don't think you would ever have questions about his speed is all I would say, though, again, translating to the next level, maybe. But then you look at the production, man, it's through the roof at 19. Just this is just the context to me. Here's crazy. Nick at 19 years old, matching up against the best corners in the nation at the college level. He had 84 catches for 1780 yards and 20 touchdowns in an offense that also had Justin Jefferson, who was basically the best rookie in football last year, Clyde Edwards Alaire, another first round pick, and Terrace Marshall. Like despite having those competition, he had just dominated 84, 1780, and 20. It's insane. That ranks number two in SEC history um, for receiving yards in a season, 1780, and it ranks number two in SEC history for receiving touchdowns in a season. With 20, he had eight career 100-yard games, three career 200-plus-yard games. And it's just the the raw production there is crazy to me. But part of the reason I wanted to touch on why I think he's the best deep ball receiver, Nick, I want to give you a little context on some of the advanced stats on the deep balls and then tell me what you think about this. On deep balls, 14 of his 20 touchdowns in 2019 came on passes that traveled 20-plus yards in the air. He was 24 of 36. It's an insane efficiency on deep passes. Like, you know, Part of that goes into Burrow, which we'll get to later, because Burrow is literally dropping balls in most of the time. He's that good. But 24 of, 40 th- of 36, he had a 138 passer rating. Uh, from I'm sorry, quarterbacks had a 138 passer rating when targeting Chase on deep passes. He had 900-plus yards on balls that traveled 20 yards in the air. Seven contested catches on those passes with just one total drop. It's It's insane. It really is.
3: Yeah, it's absolutely insane. And it just makes you think, what can he do at this level, at the NFL level? Like, I think all this is incredibly translatable. And that's why I feel like he's going to be the first receiver selected in the top 10 pick. But Jalen Waddle, I mean, this speed, we saw it last year. Henry Ruggs was not the best receiver Dan, in that draft. But he went first overall because everyone's trying to find the next Tyree kill. Now, I believe Jalen right. Waddle, we'll get into him later. It's a much better receiver than Henry Ruggs. But that's the only way I feel like Jamar Chase won't be the first Overall, wide receiver. In the end of the day, I think he's going to end up being it. And all those stats that you were naming before, Dan, he set the SEC records. They were just beat by Devonta Smith this last year. Right.
2: Exactly. Yeah. He set them at the time. Correct. Those are, yeah. yep, 100%. A few more quick stats to get into, and then I got some questions for you, Nick, that we're going to break down. But just to wrap up the stats that just stand out, there's so many with Chase. It's hard to like, he was just so dominant. So, According to player profile, his 21.2 yards per reception in 2019 was in the 96 percentile among all receivers ever. And according to Scott Barrett, the best age-adjusted wide receiver seasons by total receiving yards. So age-adjusted means based on what age they were to do it. And in my mind, I know other people disagree. This is kind of a point of context in the – or I'm sorry. Context is not the right word, but this is – Somewhat debated, I guess, in the community, but some people do believe that if you dominate at an earlier age and if you're a younger prospect, it does matter. I personally am with them on that, um, and so his age, the best age-adjusted wide receiver seasons by total yards. Uh, for power five only receivers since 2000, one Michael Crabtree in 2007 that season was dominant I'm sure people remember that and then Jamar Chase is number two and he's in the likes with J- J- Justin Blackman who would have been an amazing receiver if he didn't have off field stuff um, that was the 2010 season and I think honestly Chase and Blackman draw a lot of comparisons Chase draws a lot of com- I see a lot of Jordy Nelson with the feet in Chase I see a lot of Dez Bryant with the physicality Blackman's a good one. And then Amari Cooper, Larry Fitzgerald, then Devonte Smith, number seven, who we'll get into later. But just more stats that just show why Chase was just such a dominant receiver and is viewed by many, including Nick as myself, as the wide receiver one in this class. All right, so here's my here's where we'll start here, Nick. I want to start with something regarding Chase's kind of, I guess, supporting cast is the best way to say it. So watching Chase, it's clear to me, Nick, at least going through it. And I went on a huge deep dive with Chase and uh, Waddle, who we're going to get to soon, Last night, I was probably up watching four or five hours of them just to kind of break down and get a good feel for this pod. But to me, it's definitely clear, Nick, how dominant Joe Burrow was in 2019. And, you know, just going forward, he's just such a big lock to me to be an NFL, to be a top 10 NFL. I, I would still take him over Herbert to this day, even after what both of those put on tape. But as I'm watching him just layer perfectly placed balls to Chase, my question for you, Nick, is does that concern you at all with his projection or going to the next level? Just give you any pause when it comes to the stats we went over or anything of that nature, the fact that he played with literally one of the best quarterbacks that any of these pros- – easily the best quarterback any of these prospects played with and just one of the best prospect- – or I'm sorry, quarterbacks you can play with at the at the collegiate level.
3: No, that doesn't give me any pause. Was the LSU offense – really, really talented and filled with a lot of NFL-type players like Justin Jefferson, Clyde Edwards, Allaire. Yes, they were. But to me, Jamar Chase was the brightest star there, excluding Joe Burrow because he was the quarterback and Joe Burrow had an excellent season. But let's not forget, the season before, Joe Burrow just broke out everywhere. He was kind of a no-name type of guy. No one was talking about him being a you know day-two pick. They were talking about him maybe being a sixth or seventh-round pick, and he had that incredible 2019 season and there's a lot of reasons why that 2019 season happened everything kind of came together but Jamar Chase was a big reason for that and he's going to be playing with an NFL quarterback who's going to be able to deliver a lot of pinpoint type of passes so I think it's very very translatable to the next level
2: yeah it's interesting I would say that it doesn't give me pause Nick like it's not as in like a red flag or anything but I think it should be accounted for and I and I think that I I'm not to, not trying to shoot like poo-poo what you said. It's true. Burrow did break out onto the scene and he wasn't as good without. And, and obviously that talent should be accounted for that he got to play with. But watching him in Cincinnati last year with one of the worst offensive lines in football, it was clear to me that Burrow is, is the real deal. And I do think playing with a quarterback like that helped his numbers for sure. And I think even just watching the film, you can see some of these these the ball placement on some of these plays that Chase made was just pinpoint, just as perfect as it gets. And some of these plays, man, Burrow is in a really nasty pocket and just uses that he, he does a really good job with his feet of kind of maneuvering in the pocket and getting him to a different launch angle point where he can get the ball out. And I think that's one of his best traits, Burrow. I think some of the plays he made, Chase, were were due to Burrow kind of maneuvering the pocket. But having said that, like you said, you can see that if you just focus on Chase and you're not even looking at the quarterback on the play, you could see all the, the things that he does that makes him dominant. So I'm with you on that.
3: The stats that you went over before kind of allude to that as well, because of, there were so many contested catch vertical situations where, yes, Joe Burrow threw a good ball, but still that receiver needs to win at the catch point, in a one-on-one, sometimes two-on-one situation. And Chase did that at a high level.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Okay, Chase clearly isn't a 4-4 flat straight line runner. He's we're not going to get his 40 time, and if we do, it, it it's not going to be comparable. But he's obviously not going to be like Jalen Waddle in that regard. But at times we've seen dominant college players not translate right away because. And this is for all positions, I'm, I'm saying, Nick, because the speed takes an unpredictable jump at the NFL level. Clyde edwards Hilaire is someone that comes to mind there. I feel like with edwards Hilaire, you watched him on film at LSU, and he looked like he was just such a lock to beat one of the best running backs in the NFL. And then once he got to the NFL level, you start to watch him there with the Chiefs, and it's like that little half step, that little difference in the jump of speed, actually, to me, made a huge difference with Helaire because he's not really the greatest athlete. Does that concern you at all with a prospect like Chase or no?
3: No, no, I wouldn't say that it overly concerns me. Again, I think you take it into the evaluation that he doesn't have incredible elite type of athletic traits, but I still think it's NFL good athletic traits.
2: Yeah, agreed. And would you say that, what would you suggest happen then in a situation like Clyde Edwards-Alaire? Because, I mean, I, or you could just, if you didn't see it that way, did you see that with Alaire? To me, it was pretty obvious when watching Alaire, that that the speed, and I still think he'll be a good running back for the Chiefs. He has the greatest thing. They just signed two offensive linemen. He gets Mahomes and that entire skill uh, skill group. So it's like it's almost impossible to not be good in that offense as a running back. You're gonna face light box half the time. But did you feel like the the jump? Did you see that same thing with Alaire? Did you not? Is I guess is what I'm asking.
3: I, it seemed like Clyde Edwards Alaire struggled in a lot of different ways. It just and it also just didn't seem like the blocking up front was all that great for him with the Chiefs when at LSU it seemed like he had huge holes and his contact balance was ridiculous and he actually did look quicker and faster to me at LSU. And I'm not really sure if that's just because he's around, you know, slower athletes, but it did seem like he had an extra pep in his step on his LSU film, especially some of the tapes. I wanna say uh I'm trying to remember exactly who it was that he played where I was like, dude, this is why this guy got drafted in the first round. But uh yeah, it, it didn't he didn't seem as quick. I would say in his rookie season.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. And, and you said it best. It might, was it the, was it the athletes he played around or was it something else? It's hard to say, but I do. I was curious if you thought that might be a similar case or if you were worried at all about that with chase. So it seems like you're not, let's move to the next thing. Does his six foot height give you any pause? Because, he was so dominant at the catch point at the college level, but it's he's going to be facing a different level athlete at the NFL level. They're going to have the overall, just ge- the general overall length of corners at the college level versus the NFL level. They're They're longer and they're bigger at the NFL level. Does that concern you at all from a contested catch standpoint?
3: I don't know if concern is the right word, but again, I just believe it's similar to the athletic ability. You group it in to the evaluation, and you try to – like I think Mel Kuiper actually just went on a rant about how scouts are supposed to project, and that's their job. Their Their job is to project and prognosticate what the guy is going to be able to do in the NFL, and what I feel about Jamar Chase is the athletic ability isn't going to be a huge hindrance to the production that he's going to provide to an NFL team, and I kind of feel the this- way about his height because i think that he's going to play with excellent play strength i think he's going to still be able to win a lot of those contested catches balls now that's somewhat of a projection is the fact that he's six foot and not six four does that hurt him yes i think you know when you look at that on the surface you can say that that does hurt him but i don't think that he's going to come in and be like a laquan treadwell or anything like that i feel like he's and i don't think you're insinuating that whatsoever either but i believe that he's still going to be able to use those traits that he won with back in 2019 and win with them in the nfl will translate as quick as it did for justin Jefferson. That's something that I'm not willing to say right now because that was a really quick transition from elite production in college to elite production in the NFL for Justin Jefferson. But I think Jamar Chase is going to be fine as, or good, I should say, as an NFL wide receiver. Yeah,
2: there's no doubt about it. Now, I'm really not insinuating anything. I don't really, I'm not, none of what I'm at, none of these questions I'm asking are really even how I feel. I'm just playing devil's advocate. I think it's important to play devil's advocate and kind of evaluate all the things. And I think You're right. I mean, you you bring up Lacan Treadwell. That was a player I was off on. He had a lot of these similar type traits, and he didn't translate, but he didn't have them, I don't think, anywhere near the same level as Jamar Chase. So to me, not as concerning whatsoever in that regard, but definitely something interesting to consider as well. On past podcasts, Nick, you've talked about wide receiver stamps on the line of scrimmage, wasted movement versus lack of wasted movement. How does Chase kind of stack up for you in regard to all the nuances of playing in the wide receiver position?
3: I think as a route runner, it's it's there, man. You know, all the things that we always talk about, you lean the opposite direction, explode off the outside foot, use the flipper if you need to, to create extra separation. He does all that. I think he's a pretty excellent route runner, to be honest, and on the line of scrimmage. I mean, his stance, it's not really bent down and ready like you see a lot of the times from some of these athletes, but it's still it's a solid stance on the line of scrimmage and he gets out of his stance really, really quickly. There's not really a lot of wasted movement like there was with Terrace Marshall, who kind of drops his weight on every play i think with jamar chase he's just kind of standing there then he goes off the line of scrimmage if he's facing a press alignment uses his feet fires them well at the line of scrimmage stacks immediately like we already talked about uses whatever arm whatever side that he releases to he uses that arm in conjunction with the release to kind of swat away the defender's hands from trying to get onto his chest and he uses excellent physicality in that area and then up the stem i think he does a good job selling his breaks well and then going in whichever direction he needs to go With his upper body movements, shoulder movements, subtle head movements, and then with the way he angles his stem with his feet and kind of going into it. So from all of those nuanced perspectives, I saw a receiver that was was good at utilizing the little nuances to help create a little bit of extra separation going in and out of breaks. And he's also fluid with his hips going in and out of breaks. It wasn't something that I felt like he struggled with.
2: Yeah, I think that's important to note because sometimes people might overlook the little nuances of playing the position. But ultimately, to me, they could at times be more important as far as translating to the next level as just like the stupid differences between a 4-4-1 and a 4-4-9 in in shorts with no pads on that people are making such a big deal about and things of that nature. Um, Question for you regarding Chase's shiftiness because I don't think he was the shiftiest of wide receivers. Again, he had really good – Create, he created a lot of for, uh, missed tackles and forced missed tackles because of his strength, but as far as his shiftiness goes, do you think that will impact him as all, at all as a route runner at the NFL level? I know it didn't at the college level, but at the NFL level, as far as making cuts in and out of his breaks, how would you rate uh, grade him in that regard, and where do you see that translating?
3: I look at him and I saw a receiver who could bend. I saw he could bend in and out of his brakes. I saw him be able to sink his hips and still explode out of brakes, not losing his momentum. And I saw someone who could vary his tempo up the stem to kind of disguise brakes and disguise routes. And I also loved how he accelerated when he really turned his jets on. And what I have written down here leans into his brakes to create extra separation at break point has no issue separating with athletic traits. That's what I have written down in the evaluation I did. On Giants Country for Sports Illustrated. So I don't necessarily think it's going to be an issue.
2: Okay, cool. All right. Here's the nitty gritty of it. How do you feel? Do you feel like he would fit Jason Garrett's system? How do you see him as a fit in this specific system for 2021?
3: Oh, yes. I mean, I think Jamar Chase, he has those prototypical X type of traits. He doesn't necessarily, I guess you could say, have the height, but he's still somebody that can be on the line of scrimmage and be able to defeat jam and press alignment. So I think you could slide in there. Now we have Kenny Galladay, the New York Giants. So you look at it and you say, do you really need that? But I also think Chase is also somebody you can line up in the slot if you have to. Now he's not ideal. I think. Someone like Jalen Waddle would be better in that, but he spent 17% of his snaps in 2019 in the slot. I think he could be a Z receiver that you can move around, motion around, get him matched up against, whether it be a a smaller cornerback or whatever you want to do, try to mix up the defense's man coverage assignments to really take advantage of mismatches. I think that's also something that he can do. I, I don't necessarily think he is isolated to just be an X receiver. Now, the translation into Jason Garrett's offense I think he would do excellent with those quick spacing concepts, Dad. I think he would be excellent with those quick curls, with those quick slants off the line of scrimmage and the slant flat. And I think he obviously, like we've already said, has that vertical ability. So I think it would be a seamless transition. And I think he could translate into a lot of different offenses, if I'm going to be honest.
2: Yeah, I think you're spot on there. And again, I, I feel like with Chase... And as far as how he would translate, he would step right in. He's actually had some snaps in the slot. He didn't play much in the slot at LSU because they did have Jefferson and they did have a little bit of Marshall there, but he can play that role if need be. I think a lot of receivers can, honestly. I think the best coordinators are moving some of their X and number one receivers into the slot to get good matchups. So hopefully that would happen if they drafted a player like Chase. Um, Here's my next question for you. Would he be a run to the podium type pick for you if he was somehow there at eleven?
3: No, I wouldn't say run to the podium because it would depend on who else is available. Like if Penny Sewell was available, he's somebody I would have to consider just because the offensive line is a huge need. And I see a ton of upside with Sewell. Like I still think Jamar Chase is a better prospect than he is right now from a technical standpoint, but I I believe uh, that addition would make the Giants a better team of a stud offensive lineman rather than a really, really good wide receiver. So I wouldn't say he's a run to the podium and would have to consider who else is around, but I don't envision jamar chase being around and and one more point on chase that i want to bring up and we haven't really touched on his character he was elected to wear the number seven lsu jersey for the 2020 season before he ended up opting out and that's a huge deal in lsu it's an indication of his leadership and his intangibles on and off the field so that's what the team and the coaching staff felt about him so it kind of just speaks to his character as a player on and off the field
2: yeah, no doubt about it. So I assume if he's not a run-to-the-podium pick, he's also not a player you would consider trading a day-two pick for to move into the 7-8 range if he was starting to slip?
3: No, I'm not, I'm not about the Giants moving right now. It's moving up, I should say. I would be much more open to them moving down, but I'm more about sitting tight at 11 if they're not going to move down and then take BPA.
2: Yeah, I think we're spot-on on this then, Nick, because he's not a run-to-the-podium pick for me at 11. I don't think any receiver— ever will be a run to the podium pick for me ever. I just don't value that position enough um, as far as winning and losing. Because, I mean, again, you could look back at it. There really isn't any team that was – A dominant led by a dominant number one receiver and that was the dominant play in that offense that has won a Super Bowl I mean Julio Jones came somewhat close and I I don't even consider that to be a Julio Jones dominated offense for the Falcons that year that was mostly Shanahan and Ryan playing really well in Shanahan's system and a really good blocking game in the run game that played a huge role in that offense so and play action based off of it so really to me wide receiver is one of the most overrated positions in the NFL now if you have a Julio Jones type prospect which I don't think Jamar Chase is somebody who's six foot four 220 a physical specimen Larry Fitzgerald, Fitzgerald actually said on a I believe it was one of the mic'd ups that I heard from last year that he thinks Julio Jones is the best receiver to ever do it and I think he is underrated in the sense that no one kind of puts him in that in that range and he should be but if you had someone who was six foot four and as dom and, and 200 and ran a four four and as dominant as Chase was on film then I could do a run to the podium for him but Chase isn't that dominant athlete, even though he is a really great receiver. So no, for me as well, I also wouldn't trade up for a player like Chase either. Um, what do you think here? We'll end it on this, Nick. What do you see? Can we haven't been doing this enough, and I want to because a lot of the listeners had talked to me off pod and just in the comments and said we want, they want more of like what ceilings can be for players. So I'm going to ask you what you see as a ceiling for Chase at the next level. Do you see him as a wide receiver one, first of all, which I think you already said you did? you see him as a top 15 receiver in the NFL, top 10 potentially, top five?
3: What's his ceiling? I'd say by the end of year two, year three, he would be a top 15. I'm not going to say top 10 yet. There's a lot of talented receivers coming into last year's draft, coming into this year's draft, and there probably will be in 2022. But I think I'm willing to say by the end of his third year in the league, I would give him, a, I believe he's going to be a top 15 receiver.
2: That's cool. I th- I think I'm on board with you because I think if you look at it, Des Bryant in his prime was like a top, what, 10 receiver, maybe better. Was he top five at any point? I think that in a lot of ways, Chase can be a lot, can make an impact like Des Bryant did at the NFL level. Des Bryant was a bigger receiver, not much, but he was a bigger receiver. I think ultimately I am a little, I don't want to say held back by, but I do have and these aren't concerns, but I do want to – I am putting in context the fact that he got to play with Joe Burrow and that he was do, as dominant as he was with Joe Burrow because, to me, that played a role in it. I think that from what I've seen with a lot of these receivers, I just have not seen anywhere near comparable quarterback play from any receiver I've watched as I saw from uh, Jamar Chase. To me, it just it just didn't compare at all. It was just so much better. So. In that regard, I am at least holding that in context, Nick, but I will agree with you. I think you can get that top 15 level by year two.
3: That's fair too.
2: Oh, what, what is?
3: Well, you just said, I think, it, I think it's okay. fair to take that into account and you still want to evaluate what the player can do excluded from his quarterback play. I mean, obviously that's difficult to do because the quarterback and the receiver are so intertwined with each other, but you have to kind of just at least take that into account, but it shouldn't affect or ding him. You just take it into account.
2: Yeah, for sure. And then you could even look at the other context because there's a flip side to this, The flip side to this. is He played in the same offense with Justin Jefferson. He dominated all he dominated in that offense, dominated the targets for a reason, despite having more coverage his way and harder matchups on the outside versus Jefferson in the slot. And then you look at Jefferson, who immediately was one of I don't know, is he already a top 15 receiver in the NFL A case can certainly be made that he's already a top 15 receiver in the NFL. And so you look at that and you say on the flip side, well, if he was better than than Justin Jefferson and Justin Jefferson is already a top 15 receiver, what can Chase be? So I think that's, you know, all of it needs to be put in context. But like you said, Nick, and like we've discussed enough on this pod already, this is our wide receiver one. We would be happy to take him at 11. We're not running to the podium. We're not trading up, but we'd certainly be happy to do it. All right, we're going to wrap up on Chase there. Before we wrap up the pod, I do want to get to a question from the listener from the listeners, something that people put in on iTunes recently. And so this one is from C. Lee. Or I'm sorry, C. Lee just left us a nice review. This one, where's the, uh, we got one coming. Where is it? Uh, okay, here it is, from Lumby. He wants to know what life is going to be like without Dalvin Tomlinson. So this is Lumby1203. He says, do you think that Dalvin, with Dalvin Tomlinson leaving, we possibly move on from a three-down lineman look? Maybe we use something like a two-four-five. Lenny and Dex as the only two defensive down linemen in that formation with four linebackers and five defensive backs. Maybe it's three safeties with Julie uh, with Jabril Peppers, uh, Logan Ryan and McKinney. Maybe it's three cornerbacks with Adore Jackson, James Bradbury and Holmes. It gets our best players on the field at once. That's why I'm interested in it. What do you think of that, Nick?
3: I've been thinking about this question just a lot, to be honest. I haven't seen it, but just on my own terms, man, I've been thinking about this loss of Dalvin Tomlinson and how it could kind of affect the continuity of this defense and what Patrick Graham actually employs. But for the 2-4-5 look, I mean, the Giants have been doing that last year as well. They did that last year as well, I should say. They would do that on a lot of second and long situations, second and eight, second and seven. They would roll out 2-4-5 type of look bring four, sometimes bring five, sometimes that fifth guy was a defensive back like a Darnay Holmes. We saw that kind of plenty of times. But in those obvious running situations, I'm going to imagine they're going to try to put Dexter... I think it's going to be a feeling out process, is probably what I should say, throughout the season because Patrick Graham is excellent at adjusting his defense to his personnel and to what the opponent is trying to do. But against those teams that are going to try to run the football a lot, I think he's going to really want to force... The run outside, spill them outside, not allow them to dictate anything within the A and the B gap. And that's what we saw last year. So they had those tight fronts, bear front, eagle front, everything tight, spill everything outside to where the edge defenders can set edges and then they could spill outside to secondary force defenders where there was a defensive back who was willing to come up and stick the running back for a loss, which is something that is huge in Patrick Graham's defense. It's what we talk about. They put a lot of pride on on that run defense and put a lot of responsibility on that run defense i think they're going to try dexter lawrence at that nose spot and if it doesn't end up working out you're going to have to you we're going to see him get a little bit creative i still think we're going to see some of that two four five like you were just talking about and i still think we're going to see that tight front with a four eye to the strength three technique to the weak side and then i don't think it's going to be dexter lawrence at the nose dan what do you think
2: I think you nailed it, Nick. And I think what's important to factor in um, here when it, in kind of trying to break down something like this is that a lot is dependent on what the opposing teams do. Like if a team is using heavy eleven personnel versus a team that uses heavy twelve or thirteen personnel, it impacts what the Giants are going to do. They're not going to come out with a game plan like we are using this set of personnel, no matter what the offense shows. It is all dependent on what the offense does ultimately. That's how you. That's how football works. You try to match personnel groupings to give yourself the best chance but i think that you're on to i think the question the listener's on to something here lumby and i think ultimately the giant strength of this roster on defense is in the secondary and there's a lot of really talented players and they're going to want to get them on the field for a lot of snaps i mean as far as bradbury and Adoree jackson goes those are going to be 98 to 100 percent of snap type players they're on the field every single snap they're never off the field darnay holmes logan ryan xavier mckinney Jabril Peppers, these are players, and maybe even Julian Love, who really started to look better down the stretch last year. These are players that they're going to want to get on the field as well, and they're going to have to get creative about getting them more snaps. So I'm with you. I do think ultimately we will see a a lot of Dexter Lawrence kind of trying to fill in that Dalvin role but i think like you like you know like i said earlier there's going to be a lot of situations where they're trying to get these defensive backs on the field for more snaps which is great because that's where the nfl is moving you want to get you want to have really a lot of your strength in the secondary because coverage is really hard and it's really difficult to cover these receivers with the new rules that the nfl's put in play um you know not new to this year but new in general to modern age of football and it makes it really difficult to stop the pass unless you do have guys who can hold up in coverage
3: i also think Dan that the Giants may invest one of these late day two picks early day three picks in a defensive tackle I think that's something that we might see somebody like Tyler Shelvin who is an LSU guy he opted out of the 2020 season as well but he's somebody who can easily two gap he can come in he was a redshirt junior he can hold up the point of attack allow those linebackers to scrape over the top and make plays on the football I think that's something we're probably going to see maybe a mcneil a little bit later north carolina state kid he's a little bit lower plays with good leverage not as heavy as someone like shelvin he's 315 pounds though which is comparable to a dalvin tomlinson he's not quite as strong at the point of attack as dalvin tomlinson but tomlinson's a freak man
2: yeah there's no doubt about it i mean anyone who's followed dave gettleman long enough through his years with the panthers and the giants knows that He's not, he's not afraid to take a defensive tackle. He wants to take a defensive tackle. And he, you know that he was pained to have to let Dalvin Tomlinson go. He knew it was the best decision for this franchise based on the strength of their roster already at IDL and based on what they could do in free agency as far as upgrading pass first positions like wide receiver and corner. But you know it hurt him, and you know he doesn't want to get this defensive line any weaker than it is. So I think you're right. I think people aren't expecting it, Nick, but I think that one of these draft uh, selections could be used on another interior defensive lineman. All right, that's all the time we have for today. Before we do before we leave, I do want to thank all the people who jumped in to get these ratings and reviews up. We're up to five hundred and sixteen right now, which is awesome. I do want to also say this though, Barcavio, if you're still listening, we brought you up last pod because we were joking around because you gave us a four star and then you asked us about Zavin Collins episode, which you said we already have a player like this in Lorenzo Carter. I don't know why that would lead you to dropping the rating to two stars, but you are going to get called out for it. There's no reason to go back onto iTunes and drop our rating from four to two stars. Just because we mentioned you in jest and just because you didn't like that. We uh, brought up Zaven Collins, a player we didn't even say we want the giants to go out and get. So come on, man, why you got to give us a two star review there. You have to go back into the app and drop us from four to two. Uh, I, I don't like that type of stuff, Nick, and, and it will get called out. Thank you to all of you who didn't follow in that Barcavio path. And listen, if you have a, if you want to come back to Barcavio, let me know. Jump back in and let me know why we dropped to the two-star. But if it's simply just because it brought your name up uh, as Ingest, I'm not a fan of that, Nick. So it will get called out. I know Nick's not a big fan of the call-outs, or at least he doesn't do them himself. But I, I am the voice of the Giants Big Blue Banter podcast when it comes to calling out unnecessary two-star reviews if there's a reason for it drop it but otherwise you're just hurting us and we don't
3: we don't and Barcavio, you got a you got a really badass name man like Barcavio is a cool freaking name like why well, like i feel like you, you should have you know thicker skin than than that you know
2: yeah, I don't even think we said anything bad. I think we just brought up the review. The four stars a joke to try to get us up to five. But if we knew that was going to drop us from four to two, man, on a re you know re jump into the app and you fire back, you look at your rating, you see the four star, you you don't change it at all. It's still about Xavier Collins. You're interesting, even the rating seems nice, interesting. Listen, but the Giants already have a player like Xavier Collins on the roster. They don't need to spend a day one or two to acquire him agreed Barkay but we don't want the Giants to spend a day one or two pick on Collins really we would be intrigued if they took him at 42 because I think he'd be cool in Patrick Graham's system but again to drop from four to two it's it's a tough life uh, for us here
3: I do have a question like I agree I don't want to draft saving Collins I don't I don't think that's the way the Giants should allocate if they allocate towards the inside linebacker it's got to be Micah Parsons but who exactly do the Giants have on the roster it's like saving Collins that's what I want to know
2: yeah, nobody. And I think he'd be freaking cool in Patrick Graham's system. It's a risk, obviously. But well, he, according to him, he thinks Lorenzo Carter is the same player um, and Cam Brown as well. I don't know if I'd agree with that personally. But I, again, I mean, that's your I, opinion.
3: I that, We're not going to knock him thing.
2: for that behavior. But again, please do us a favor, Barcavio. Listen, if you're still listening, Barcavio, and this is a lot of airtime for Barcavio, but please go back and help us get to five stars. We want to make this podcast as strong as we can, but we need your help. So anyone else who hasn't actually rated or reviewed the podcast, and I ask for it every time, um, a lot of you have done it already, but please do us a favor. Go to iTunes, hit that rating and review button. Give us five stars, please. If you write in a question, it will always get answered on the podcast. We have this only question we actually had was the one we Went over already from Lumby. But if you have questions that you want answered on the show, the best way to do it is to just write a review and ask it there because we will be answering all that. If you want to help us grow as well, there's other ways to do it. Follow us on Instagram at NY Big Blue Banter. That's NY Big Blue Banter on Instagram. And then, obviously, the last thing you can do is join us for our live Q&A show every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern on the Lockroom Room app. It's basically like a call you call into a radio show, you hit request to speak, we chop it up with you, we'll talk football anything you want. So follow us there as well. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.